0: Greetings in Jesus' precious name this morning. I'll be reading more scripture than sometimes, and so I invite your attention to John 17. This morning I'll be sharing on basically three main points. Um, They all are related to communion. Communion. And I was feeling a little unsure on which and decided to just touch on three things. Um, In John 17, we have Jesus' last wish, if you will. Now, my aunt passed away this week. She's a relative of some of you all, Linda Kugler-Showalter. I don't know what her closing words were, but various people in the Bible had special words at the end of their life. And Jesus, before his death, shared this message, or this uh, sermon, if you will, with his disciples of his, his last and foremost wish. And so we'll, just, we'll, we'll look at that. Then I want to move to, secondly, Jesus' last supper, that's recorded in the Gospels, and also Jesus' final sacrifice, I'll be reading from uh, Mark for that passage. And so here in John 17, um, you're familiar with the book of John, I'm sure. Um, If you page back, just to get the setting, you remember that John 13 is the foot washing service. And And then between 13 and 17 is Jesus sharing with his disciples. And it's interesting most of the gospels the other gospels record more of what Jesus did John records more of what Jesus said And so when we come to John 17 we have Jesus prayer if you will for his disciples and for us I want you to think about this if you put the if you put the gospel accounts together you come up with this there at that last what we call the last supper you have Them observing the Passover, Jesus said to his disciples, go and get the Passover ready. So they did. They, um, according to the other three um, Gospels, observed the first communion there, the the bread and the juice. John records in 13 a foot-washing service, the first foot-washing or feet-washing. And then you have a sermon, and then you have a prayer, And then you have a song. And so in some ways, the first Christian service. Things that we would do. Maybe a meal, communion this morning, and foot washing, a meditation, prayers, and singing. And so I was just blessed by thinking about that. And I would have enjoyed hearing those 12 men or 13 singing. That would have been maybe three to a part if they sung four part. Or maybe they sang in unison. It was just a it was just, a, I think, a very special time for them to be together. And so Jesus, after this meditation, shares this wish of his for unity for his disciples, and he expands it a bit, but I'll read chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus praying to his father, uh, obviously verbally, out loud, and John taking note or notes and, and conveying this to us. He says, now, Jesus says, now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one <clears throat> excuse me, as we are. And for the sake of time, I'll go to verse 20. <clears throat> I do not pray for these alone. And so he's expanding his prayer now from his immediate disciples and looking further but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, I'm sorry, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made Perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. And there's more, but we'll just stop there. I just want to especially draw our attention to the fact that Jesus' last wish I, I feels like the main point of his prayer and his message was that there would be unity in the church. And as we consider communion this morning, there is certainly an element where we are thinking back to Christ's sacrifice. We'll get to that shortly in the message. But there's also a strong element of communion, common union of us together as a church, the Holy Spirit here, but us sharing in the bread and in the juice together, an expression of our love for each other. We have that in this prayer an expression of our appreciation for what Jesus sacrificed there that day. And so someone has has pointed out, and I'm sure this is not a new thought to you, but when we, the bread that is here this morning, um, many grains of wheat are crushed, yes, beaten, if you will, to make one loaf of bread, which is then broken And shared from one loaf to the congregation. And so many into one and one to many. And also with the juice. Grape juice is made by many grapes being pounded, mashed, smashed until the juice runs out. And that is a fitting uh, depiction of Jesus' sacrifice. It's also this thing of many coming to one and one. many I'm glad that generally we use a common cup and a common bread not that it has to be that way but it 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 carries better the picture of the unity that we are expressing both our remembrance of the sacrifice but our common sharing together and so Jesus heart was that there would be unity and I realize unity can be threatened um And obviously he would not have prayed this if it was something that just always was there and didn't need work. We might consider the fact that for bread or juice, there is some crushing. Maybe that's stronger than we like to think, but there is some yielding um, for that to take place. And for us to have unity, there is the same, a deep appreciation of each other each other's gifts, each other's different parts in the body, each other's contribution. It's not like we would do it. Of course it's not. It shouldn't even be. But Jesus prayed that we would be unified together, and I'm glad that we can come together today as different individuals from different backgrounds and share together in communion. <clears throat> Let's move now to Jesus' Last Supper. Let's go to Mark 14, 22. This is often referred to as the Last Supper. I would like to maybe close this little part by saying it's not completely the Last Supper, but we refer to it that way. Perhaps Brother Keith or JP or John was going to use this passage, and so I'll just simply um, read it. But this was Jesus actually instituting the the First Communion. Mark records it this way, Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, and so I take that right there in the Passover meal, which was really the last necessary Passover, in my mind it was kind of after, because that Passover closed out the New, the Old Testament, and this communion, in a way, ushered in the New Testament, it was preparation um, for what was coming, and so there in that Passover meal, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and <laughs> he had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say unto you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new In the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so, did the Passover include bread and juice? Um, I was a little unsure. Unleavened bread, yes. I don't think juice was a part of the Old Testament ceremony. It seems that John took special note that this was different than a typical Passover meal. There was something here and especially beyond just the bread and the juice, but Jesus saying these represent, is the best word that I can think of to use, they are not actually blood and body, but they are representative of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being spilled. I'd like to take just a little detour here and say that we have met in in peace and safety this morning. It's all we have known all our lives, I suppose, but it's in a way unusual when you look at the entirety of history. Um, we today, this morning, in our prayer and in our sharing, we mentioned people mentioned the um, the unrest in Guatemala, and you know that Israel and Gaza are basically at war. Um, and Gaza is a very small strip of land with many, many people living in it. And you know that there is, um, I I don't know quite how to describe this, but Russia is attempting to assume part of Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine is pushing back very strongly. And so there's, I'm saying, and also in Europe, there's uh, strong land conflicts there. And so there is bloodshed around the world in different places. And if you think back in history about anabaptism, and you think about these disciples and what they faced the rest of their lives, um, I would say that we live in an unusual time of peace and safety. And bloodshed is something that we are only doctors and medics see, but that's not the way it is around the world always. And so we are, I think, thankful. And we should understand that what we have is not typical of all of life. And so Jesus was saying that I am about to be killed, crucified, I'm going to bleed for the world, and that this juice represents that, and that his body was going to be abused. And we are far removed. We can hardly identify with those kinds of thoughts, but people see that and experience that. Now, Jesus was more than just human suffering. It was a, um, a sacrifice, um, not a penalty. But in our behalf, it would be a way of saying it, and I am treading carefully here because I'm never quite sure what words to use exactly but that he willingly sacrificed his life for the sins of all humanity, including ours. <clears throat> now, he says in verse 25, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so we say this is the Last Supper. But I would invite you to Revelation 19:5. It was, in a way, Jesus' last supper, the last supper before his death. But there was other times. You remember when he came back after the resurrection and they offered him, was it fish? Um, And he partook. And then there's another supper coming that I have never really connected with communion, but I'm saying this morning that while communion reaches back to Jesus' sacrifice and is very current with our relationship with each other, there's a, a small forward aspect of communion in Revelation 19.5. I'll read to verse 9. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And so I'm tying that back to Mark, when he says, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What did he mean exactly? I am not sure, but is Jesus waiting for his bride for that supper? It seems so, and so are we. And so there is an element of communion which it seems will be culminated at the marriage supper of the lamb and his wife, of which we are blessed to be part. I would like now to go to Mark 15. And read Mark's account of the crucifixion. I've entitled this section, Jesus' Final Sacrifice. You know that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were commanded. God asked for it. They were fulfilled. They were slain. They were sacrificed. And all of those, in in a smaller to greater way, pointed forward to the final perfect sacrifice. And so i titled this Jesus' Final Sacrifice because at this sacrifice it ended the need for slaying animals for sin. So this is a rather long reading. It's from Mark 15, 12. I'll read all the way down to 47. <clears throat> I'm Jumping in kind of here in the um, unfair trial, which um, is, I, I hardly knew where to start, but we'll start with verse 12. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Saranian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, The King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see it and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloah, Eloah, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among them who were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Less and of Joseph and Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he had al- was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. I will stop there this morning. I don't know if you were able to visualize, to use your imagination, if you will, to put yourself in this story. We know the rest of the story In some ways, it's an unfair advantage because they did not, they were not able to see the promise of the resurrection. They did not understand necessarily Jesus' prediction of this happening and what was to come. And so they were, I think, um, devastated, is the best word I can think of their Lord and Master not doing a miracle like he had always done, or at least done for three years, not making his way through the crowd unobserved to um, save his life, but succumbing to the will, the evil will of the Jewish leaders and the crowd and Pilate. And I think it was a difficult time for them. And obviously we in the spring think about Easter and his resurrection. Um, For them it was... Three long days for us, several months. And yet we know what all happens afterward. And so if you can just put yourself there in that scene and consider Jesus amazingly um, giving up his life, sacrificing his life, shedding his blood for us, I think that would be our main goal this morning, of just remembering that, considering that, that he did, I won't go into the detail of his suffering. It was great. It was inhuman. It was almost beyond imagination, and yet he was willing. He was strengthened by the angels. He said it numerous times during his ministry, I came to do the Father's will. And in some ways that battle was won there in Gethsemane when he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, or to that to that. those thoughts exactly so this morning we will partake of communion remembering this considering our connection with each other presently and looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb I'll close with a verse that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it's very common, you know this very well, Paul said as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Till he comes, and so there you have it. There is a, there is um, in a capsule, thinking all the way back to the death, and all the way forward to his coming, and the marriage supper of the lamb.